Good morning to everybody. It's good that you're here and um, good that we could be here this morning to worship the Lord, sing praises to him and to gather around his table to remember his great love and his great sacrifice. The song that we sang, You Are My All in All, sung that so often and I used to kind of think about it as being a uh, a song that we used to sing with the teens in our, in our youth group. Um, and it's different when you're up here leading, and it's different when you're out there sitting. And this morning, as Jim was leading, the men got to that line, and it says, Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. And I tell you, the emotions just swept over me, especially in light of what I want to um, what I want to share with you this morning, um, just feel overwhelmed that we have such a wonderful God that he would take not just the sins of the world, but he would take my sin and my cross and my shame. Um, that's tough when you start out a sermon in tears, isn't it? Um, I've been struggling all week about this morning's um, sermon. Richie asked me, I guess it was Friday week ago, June the 26th, um, sent me a text and asked what I like to preach today. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And, um, and then later that afternoon, uh, word was uh, passed down to us that our Supreme Court had ruled five to four in favor of legalizing same-sex marriages in all 50 of our states. It's already been legal in um, most of the states, but now it's legal in all 50 of our states. And the thought crossed my mind, you know, here a week from now I'm going to be preaching, and, and it, felt like, it felt like maybe God was wanting me to speak up and say something about that. And I said, God, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to broach that subject. I got up the next morning, and of course, it was all over the newspaper, and I began reading um, some of the, the things that had been posted and what people were saying about this and how it was going to affect our country and, and on and on and on. And I was drinking my coffee, and I was looking out the window, and I kind of got this glossy-eyed you know, look, um, just kind of staring there like in a stupor which is not completely uncommon um, for me on Saturday mornings. But um, Paula said, what are, you, what are you thinking about? And I said, I could see myself preaching. I kind of went into this, you know, this. I, I, I do this when I'm, when I'm getting ready to preach or teach. I can almost kind of see myself doing it and hearing myself preach. And um, I wish you could have heard one of the dozens of sermons that I have preached on this in my mind this past week because they were, they were really good. <laughs> but I said, God, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to... You know, the last two times I preached, I preached on prayer, the person of prayer, uh, Jesus, how he got up early in the morning and he went out and he, to a solitary place and he prayed. And sometimes he would, would spend all night, the scriptures say, praying to the Father all night. And then we looked uh, a couple of weeks ago at a parable of prayer about how a friend went to his friend at midnight and, and Jesus was really telling us to, to pray and to be persistent and to be bold and to be courageous before God because he hears us and he wants to bless us. 
And that's, that's the kind of thing I wanted to preach about this morning. So I said, God, put something else in my heart. Put something else in my heart. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this. I got up Monday and I went down to caring and sharing and we were sitting in the devotional time and talking about prayer requests and um, reading uh, some scripture and, and Janice Bunt brought up a subject um, that had happened a couple of years ago down at Caring and Sharing and how one of the, the workers there um, had sat and visited with a young man who was, was struggling with his sexual identity and, and she said, I was kind of listening and I was not really quite sure how the young man was going to take it but, but this lady just seemed to be led by the Spirit of God to, to say exactly the right thing to this young man and, and to plant a seed of love and hope within his heart and within his mind. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, I don't want to talk about this. Why do you keep putting this on my heart? Why do you keep bringing this to my mind? And it wasn't 10 or 15 minutes later, I went back to the back, and, and one of the workers that was not in that devotional because he had overslept and come in, he came in late, he says, Rodney, sit down. I've I got to tell you something. Sit down. And those of you who know uh, the workers down there know who I'm talking about. He said, uh, i got to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, you've got a big job. You've got a big job ahead of you. And I thought, I thought he was talking about, you know, packing groceries or something. I didn't know what he was talking about, honestly. I said, all right, what's, what's this big job? He said, you've got to tell the people. You've got to tell the children. You've got to tell the people. And I said, okay, well, what, what do I have to tell them? And he said, you got to tell them what God wants them to hear about this Supreme Court decision. And I said, oh, Lord. I have, you know, I felt like Moses for the last week and a half almost. I was just saying, God, I'm not eloquent of speech. I can't do it. Send somebody else. Please send somebody else to talk about this and put something else on my heart. And even now, I'm open to that. In this moment, if he would put something else on my heart, but ah, everywhere I turn, it's, it's, it's been this and it's been this. I think every generation likes to lament the fact that things have never been worse than they are right now. Don't, don't we tend to do that? We think back to our childhood and we think back and we say, man, the world is just lost and going to hell in a handbasket. I wish things were back the way they were when I was a kid because things were so much better. And I think every generation says that. Things, things are worse now than they've ever been in the history of the world. Just look around. But is that really true? Are things really worse now in 2015 than they've ever been in the history of the world? Regardless of what happened on June 26, you and I are sitting here today in an air-conditioned building, and we are able to worship God freely. There are places in the world where our brothers and our sisters cannot do that. We've read about beheadings, persecution, imprisonment, beatings. And here we are this morning, worshiping the Almighty God without fear, are things really as bad as they've ever been? I don't know. But let me share a quote with you from Warren Wearsby. Some of you have read his commentaries and his Bible studies through the years. Wearsby is quoted as saying, Truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality. But love 
without truth is hypocrisy. I fear that I have been guilty, and maybe those of us in the church and religious circles in general have been guilty of having truth without love. And that's just beating people up. That's just taking the Bible and beating people up with the Word of God. But on the flip side of that coin, my wife makes fun of me the way I say that word. On the flip side of that piece of change, um, coin, if we really love people, we've got to tell them the truth. We've got to tell them the truth of what God's Word says. By a vote of five to four, the Supreme Court ruled to legalize same-sex marriage in all 50 states. And, and that ruling is ahead of public opinion for some Americans, but it's not ahead of public opinion for most Americans in our world. Americans who say that they have gay or lesbian friends are twice as likely to say that gay marriage should be legal. And fewer than half of Americans today say that homosexuality is sinful. And Christians are increasingly at odds with American culture over same-sex relations. But listen, regardless of what happened on June 26, regardless of how the Supreme Court ruled about same-sex relationships, same-sex marriages, regardless of how they rule on immigration, regardless of how they rule on abortion, and on down the line, God is still in control of our world. God is still supreme. God still reigns. Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father. And those of us who are in Christ are seated with him, ruling, even today. Nothing really has changed for the church in regards to this Supreme Court ruling. The church is still on mission. The church still has to be on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And I think one of the reasons why so many people get so worked up about this and so lathered up about this, and we, and we want to uh, rant and rave and rail about this ruling, is because we really love this earth. We really love this place where we live. And so many times, our affections are so ingrained on the here and the now that we have forgotten that there is an invisible kingdom that Jesus has prepared for us. He's gone to prepare a place for us, and this world is not our home. We're aliens here. We are aliens in this country of ours. Our citizenship is not here. Yesterday was the 4th of July. Um, and we love this country. I love this country. We, we went off and s shot fireworks last night out at the Spencer's house, and it was a fun time, and it was an amazing time, and I'm so blessed to have been born and raised and reared in the country that we live in. I've got a passport that shows that I'm a, an American citizen. I am proud of that. But my real citizenship is not here. I'm an alien here. And as such, we're just passing through. We used to sing that old song, I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days and watch the fleeting changes of life's uneven ways. I tell you what, more and more, 
My prayer is, and, and, and this is, I've got a lot to look forward to. I've got uh, a son that's getting married in October. I've got another son who's been married for four years, and if he's listening to this, I'd like to, a grandchild sometime soon, you know. I've got a beautiful daughter who is growing up to be a fine Christian woman. She loves music and the piano, and I love to sit and listen to her play, and hopefully she'll be married and have children one day. I've got a lot to look forward to. But more and more, my prayer is, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I don't want to stay here longer than man's allotted days. I really don't. I want to go see Jesus. I want to see my Savior. I want to look upon the face of the one who took my scars and my stripes. Let's take a moment and look at the Scriptures. I want our young people, I want all of us, to know what the Bible says about this issue because I think sometimes we just don't know what the Bible says. The book of Genesis, chapter 18. I don't have any slides this morning. I, I've, I've been wrestling with this for a long time. So we're just going to look at the Word of God this morning, if that's all right. Genesis, chapter 18, you know the story well, hopefully. God has chosen a man named Abraham. And he chose Abraham because he was a righteous man. God spoke to Abraham and he believed God. And God credited his belief, his faith in what God said as righteousness. And the idea was that God was going to choose a man. And through that man, he was going to create a people for himself. A people through whom he would bring the Messiah. Because it was in the bringing and the giving of the Messiah that God would bless all people of all nations from the beginning of time until Jesus comes back. But he had to start with a people for himself. So he calls Abram. He changes his name to Abraham. And he begins to build a nation for himself. We see Abraham's nephew Lot. Abraham and Lot go separate ways and Lot goes to live in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know that those cities were destroyed. We don't have time to read all of this. But God sent, um, really God himself came down. The Lord himself came down with two angels and they went and told Abraham what they were going to do, that they were going to destroy the city because the outcry of evil had gotten so great. And one of their, the sins, uh, one of the the great sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. So God said, let's tell Abraham what we're going to do. And and Abraham begins to really bargain with God. He says, God, if if we can find 50 righteous people in the city, will you not spare the city for 50 righteous people? And God says, I'll spare the city for 50. And Abraham says, well, since I've asked you that, what, what what do we say There's only 45. Would you not spare the city for five people? What if there's only 45 righteous? And God says, I'll spare the city if if you find 45 righteous. What about 40? (laughs) Okay, I'll spare the city for 40. And then he says, okay, what about 30? What about 20? What if you find 10 righteous people? I mean, Abraham is, is bargaining with God. And God says, I will spare the city. For ten righteous. But apparently there weren't ten righteous. 
And the two angels arrived in Sodom, were in chapter 19, in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and they entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they'd gone to bed, all of the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. When they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them, and he shut the door behind them, and he said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Do not do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like to with them. Uh, that just, I, I can't hardly wrap my mind around that. Uh, I have struggled with this all of my life. But Lot, in his mind, knew that what they were asking was so detestable to God that he was willing that they have his two daughters that's how bad it was and he knew that but they said no we don't we don't want your daughters get out of our way they replied this fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge we'll treat you worse than them and they kept bringing pressure on Lot and they moved forward to break down the door you know the rest of the story Lot the angels have to take Lot and his family, and they drag him out of the city, and he tells them not to look back, and God rains down fire and sulfur and destroys those two cities because of their wickedness, because of the evil. Turn over to Leviticus, if you will. Leviticus chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Third book in the Bible. Boy, those of you who've been reading through the Bible this year, you get to Leviticus and you just go, oh, man, wow, I, I'm having a hard time making it through Leviticus. They're just, it's like rule after rule and law after law, and some of them seem so just kind of abstract. Where is that coming from? Why is that in there? But then we get to chapter 18, and, and the law is spelled out about unlawful sexual relations. These are things that you should not do. These are things that God does not want for you. Because what God is trying to do, folks, he's trying to set apart a people for himself. He's trying to, to set apart a people who will be holy and who will be righteous and that they will live differently from all the other nations, all the pagan nations around them. God is trying to call a people to himself, starting with Abraham and then all of his descendants, so that other people could see the Israelites and see that there's something different about them. Holy people, morally upright, pure. The Israelites didn't do very well in that regard. They constantly were, were missing the mark. But listen what, what they write. I mean, it's amazing what he says. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 6, No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relationships with your mother. She's your mother. 
Don't have sexual relationships with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Don't have sexual relationships with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter. And, and the list goes on and on and on about don't do this and don't do this and don't have sex with this person or this person or this person. Why would God have to say those things? Because those things were happening, right? God had to spell those things out for them because the nations around them lived that way. They were living that way. So I've got to tell you, blow by blow, point by point, don't do this, don't do that. Because I want a holy people for myself. A people different from the people around you. It's kind of like when you, when you buy an iron and it says, do, you know, the instructions say, do not iron with clothes on body. I, you know, somebody's doing that. Somebody did that. And they have to put a note on there. Don't do that. God spells all of this stuff out. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Now look over in verse 22. Leviticus 18. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Your, your version may say that is an, an abomination. In the beginning, God created man. And he saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And he created a woman, a woman from the man to be his helpmeet, to be his wife. And God said, that for that reason, a man will leave his mother and his father and he, was cl he will cling to his wife and they will become one flesh. That's God's design. That's God's design for sexual relations, for a man and for a woman to be joined together and to become one flesh. A man being with a man, a woman being with a woman is not God's design. It's unnatural. And he says that to us. Let's turn over to the, to the New Testament. You say, Rodney, that's the Old Testament. That's, that's done away with. That's the old law. We're not under that anymore. And you're exactly right. Colossians 2.14 said, Having canceled the written code, which was all of those laws, having canceled the written code that was against us and that stood opposed to us, it says he took it away, nailing it to the cross. But when Jesus died and he, and he took away that written code, he didn't take away um, moral purity. What he took away was some um, way of trying to, to be right with God through obeying law. When, when Moses gave the law at Mount Sinai, Israel entered into a covenant of law based on law. God said, if you will keep these laws, I will be your God and you will be my people. So Jesus took that covenant of law away, and we are not under that covenant any longer. That's right. But the moral code didn't go away. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's fast forward down to verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
He lists quite a few more things than just homosexuality, doesn't he? Adulterers, drunkards, thieves, swindlers, slanderers. And he says, that is what some of you were. Those of you who are now in Christ, who have found salvation, who have given your lives to Jesus, who have been buried with him in baptism, that's what some of you were. The church is filled with gossips and, and idolaters and adulterers and slanderers and homosexuals. It was in Corinth and it's true today. And that's what so, some of you were. Past tense. Look what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what some of you were. Not are, but you were those things. But you've been saved from that. You've been brought out of that into Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now listen to this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We have so taken that uh, passage right there out of context. When I was in Africa last year, um, got into a discussion and one of the guys was talking about um, smoking, and he said, smoking is wrong. Smoking is a sin. And uh, we said, well, why, why is that? Where does it say that in the Bible? He said, well, because the Bible says the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So anything you do to harm the body would be a sin. And haven't, isn't that how we've used that passage all these years? The body's a temple. What he's talking about is that the Holy Spirit, don't you realize that you don't belong to yourself? That when you came uh, to know the Lord and became a Christian and were baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit of God took up residency inside of your body. The Holy Spirit of God now lives in you. So you don't belong to yourself. You can't join these physical members of your body to someone that you shouldn't be joined to. Because the body houses the Holy Spirit of God. Don't you realize that? You can't join yourself to a prostitute. You can't have sex outside of marriage. And listen, if we're talking about homosexuality, we do not have a homosexual problem in our country. We have a sin problem in our country and in our world. I guarantee you there are a, a host more heterosexual sins taking place 
today than there are homosexual sins. Am I right? We like to think that everybody that comes here into our church is really living upright and righteous. But if you ask around, if, if we're really honest, most unmarried people are having sex outside of marriage. It's a fact. And most of those sins are heterosexual sins, not homosexual sins. So it'd be easy to get up here and to stand up and say, you know, homosexuality is such a bad thing and it's detestable. It's an abomination to God. And what is happening in our country, we're going the wrong direction. It's easy to preach that and for, for people to kind of get behind that. But, but we'll put up with this and we'll put up with this and we'll put up with this. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a line that's drawn. I, I, just, can't, I just cannot handle that. That is just, it's just over the top. That's just really bad. But yet we'll put up with this and this and this and this and this. This morning's sermon is not about the sin of homosexuality. Although you need to know that it is a sin. It's sinful and it's wrong in God's eyes. But that's not our greatest problem in this country. Our greatest problem is that we're following the flesh. We're satisfying ourselves and we're not trusting that God is our all in all. You know, that's really what sin is, is isn't it? In the garden, God said, you can eat of every tree, but, you, but there's one tree you can't eat of. And when man decided that, you know what, I am going to eat of that, did God really say don't eat of that? He decided what God said was not really true or was not really the best thing. Isn't that, isn't that what sin is, is when I say, God, I know you said this, I know you said that, but I don't trust you to be my all in all. I don't trust you to satisfy me, so I'm going to satisfy myself some other way. Isn't that really what sin is? Let's look very quickly at Romans. Romans chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Shall we just keep on sinning? By no means. No. No way. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God 
that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. That's an odd term, isn't it? We become slaves to righteousness because of what Jesus has accomplished. I want to share very quickly, uh, and I, I know I've gone too long already. Kerry Newhoff is a, a preacher and a pastor up in Canada. And um, I have found some of what he has said about this subject to be very thoughtful and very insightful. Let me, let me share a couple of highlights. He says, the church has always been countercultural. The church has always gone against the culture of the day. That has not changed. Uh, what happened with the Supreme Court ruling is no different. Uh, Christians have always gone against the tide when it comes to, to culture. Secondly, he says it's actually strange to ask non-Christians to hold Christian values. Think about that for a second. How strange is that for us to expect non-Christians in the world to act like Christian people. They've not obeyed the gospel. Why would, they, why would we expect them to live as such when we ourselves struggle to live that way? Do you know how prevalent internet pornography is in our country? Just statistics alone, if you, if you believe in statistics, at least half of every man here this morning is going to go home and view internet porn today, tomorrow, or the next day. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Why would we expect people who don't profess to be Christians to wait until marriage to have sex? Why would we expect them to clean up their language or to stop smoking pot or to be faithful to one person for life? Why, why would we expect that? They're not Christians. We as Christians need to cast the plank out of our own eye so that we can help somebody else get that speck of sawdust out of their eye. Jesus never said, don't help them get the speck of sawdust out, but he said, you need to deal with your own problems first. So that you can help other people. We, we can't expect people in the world to follow our Christian values. And especially if we're not following them ourselves. we we got to get our house right first. And that starts with repentance. The church needs to repent of our sins. Get on our knees before God and say, God, forgive us. Cleanse us. Help us to be more like Christ. So that when the world sees us, they don't see hypocrisy. They see men and women living good, moral, upright lives before them so that we'll have a testimony with which to, to talk to them about. He says, you've been dealing with sex outside of traditional marriage for a long time. We've already broached that subject. He says, the early church never looked to the government for guidance. The early church never looked to the government for guidance. Uh, we never see Jesus. That, people tried to make Jesus king. They tried to make him the government, but he, he said, that's not what I'm here for. And lastly, he says, our judgment of lesbian, gay, 
bisexual and transgender people is destroying any potential relationship that we could have with them. People do not line up to be judged, but they just might line up to be loved. I've been reading a lot of articles. I've been reading people writing into the newspaper. It, It really is so easy to kind of get on a soapbox and to rant and to rave about where this country is headed. But I want you to know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, God is still God. God is still good. And Jesus is still in the business of changing lives, taking sinners and making them saints. So that when we stand before a holy God, God doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. And I'm as pure as the driven snow. Not because there's anything good within me, but because he is so good. This is what I want you to do, because a lot of times I'm guilty of teaching a class or preaching a lesson, and I don't give you anything to do with what I've said. Okay, you said a bunch of stuff, now what? What I want you to do this next week is every time you turn the news on and there is something about homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage, people adopting children. Every time you pick up a newspaper and there's another article, every time you log on and your homepage has got an article, I want you to stop. For the next seven days, would you stop and say a prayer right then and say, God, would you help these people? Would you help me be a witness as I have opportunity And Father, I love these people, and I want them to come to know that love. Would you do that? Every time it crosses your mind, every time you read an article, every time you log on the Internet, every time it comes on the nightly news, and they're talking about this subject, would you stop and pray? Let's do that right now. Father God, Father, we love you so much, and Father, you have... You've given us your word and you've laid out your plan for our lives, for the way you'd have us to live. And, Father, we fall so short of that. Every one of us, Father, has sinned and fallen short of your glory. And, Father, how dare we look down our nose condescendingly at someone else because of their sin when we've got a plank in our own eye that we need to cast out first. Father, would you forgive us? Would you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west so that so that we could have a testimony to the world, so that we won't be living lives of hypocrisy, but that we can say truly that Jesus is the Lord of our lives and we've given up our bodies to serve him. Father, if if there are those who are struggling with same-sex attraction, if there are those who are struggling with being attracted to the opposite sex in ways that they shouldn't, Father, for whatever sin we're dealing with this morning, Would you help us? Would you give us strength by your power, by your spirit to overcome for your glory? This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. We offer the invitation this morning. If you are outside of Christ, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, really nothing that I've said matters. Only those who can call God Father will be saved. If you need to put Jesus on in baptism, to be buried in Christ, to have your sins washed away, 
We'd love to do that this morning. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, come. Let's stand and let's sing. On bended knee.